Uh, I'm going to go right into the Word of the Lord today, if you don't mind. A lot of nice things need to be said because we have been treated so grandly. And uh, so if I, I forsake those remarks that really do need to be made this morning, I trust you'll understand and we'll play catch up later if that's even possible to thank you for all the kindness that has been shown us. It's very deeply appreciated. But I do feel like going right to the Word of the Lord. Um, it is never a wise thing, never, to um, talk about the importance of what you've got to say before you say it. You better just saying it and then let people decide if it was. So I'm not going to do that, but I will say this. I do have a real burden this morning to deliver to you what is in my heart. And when the Lord gave me this um, just a few years ago, it was some time before I even preached it because I didn't want to lose this message in the process of using this message. And sometimes as preachers, if we're not careful, God will give us something. And it's so rich and real and powerful. And then once it's delivered, it goes into the file with the rest of the notes. And I don't want this to be, I don't want the Word of the Lord to be that to me. Nor do I feel any of us want that. So what I want to bring to you, I don't feel like I have apprehended or attained, but I do want to press on and, uh, and get this. So with that in mind, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, thank you so much, beginning at verse 22, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely, to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and will make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, 
And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? And I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Let's pray together and ask that God would speak to us today. God, we love you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We love you, my God. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. In the beautiful name of Jesus. God bless you so much. You may be seated. Thank you for your patience standing. These are, uh, these verses cover familiar territory to most of us. From our youth up, even if we were not in the church, we were made aware somewhere along the way of the story of David and Goliath, and um, it has been preached about every way possible, which is right. That is, this narrative's just due. It ought to be that way and will continue to be that way. And um, we are reading here about a man that is very special next to the name Jesus, You'll find the name of David in the Bible more than any other person. He, his name is there over 1,100 times, and it's over three times as many as his runner-up, which is Abraham. So the name of David is very important, and his life is worthy of much study. And I think a reason for that is because God summed up so much of his life when he said, He is a man after mine own heart. And anybody that is a man after God's own heart, that person needs to be studied. And so, we don't have time. I am in the process of going through a series in our local church on uh, Sunday morning first class about the life of David. So we don't have time to do that here. But I would like to go to what I personally feel is the essence of the man's nature that made him a man after God's own heart. Now in this text, 
we find that David has left his father's sheep. He has left them with someone to watch over them. He rode in a carriage laden with um, cheese and raisins and bread, flagons of wine, things that his father Jesse had sent down to his brethren in the army, to various men that were there engaged, he thought, in battle. And uh, so David came, and then he left the carriage in the hand of the keeper, and he came and he saluted his brethren. And as he was going through this process, Goliath showed up on yonder hill. And we know the story. He, as had become his custom, began to revile Israel, to curse, to blaspheme, to ridicule, to mock, to despise. And he'd been doing this for 40 days now, saying, send me a man. And if he beats me, then the battle's over and we'll be your servants or vice versa. And as Goliath began to speak, or beller if you please, the Bible tells us that the soldiers of Israel began to run and hide. Amen. You did such a good job, Mr. Soundman. It's a little too much. <laughs> That's a rare thing to hear a preacher say, isn't it? Praise God. But I'd rather hear, have him say, what did he say, than I wish he'd go away. Praise the Lord. So, uh, as he began to beller, David saw something that was new to him. He'd never been around armies before, but he'd been in personal battles before. He thought you were supposed to fight. He didn't know you ran behind trees and rocks and, and hidden caves. It wasn't his understanding that that was the nature of armies. And uh, apparently he, he stood. He, was, he didn't think to run. He was shocked at watching everybody else hit the trail. And uh, apparently, as they were gathered themselves, he, he began to ask somebody, he said, Who's that? And said, Well, this ten-foot giant has come up to defy Israel, the armies of Israel. And there is a bounty been placed on his head. And uh, the man that kills him is going to be made very rich. The king has put a reward of riches for his scalp. And not only that, he will get to marry the king's daughter. And on top of that, his house will be free in Israel. Meaning, free of taxes, free of um, duties called upon by the government. And uh, as the man is expressing to David what would be done, David, who has already been shocked by the display of the army, is now appalled by the words he has just heard. And he said, what? What shall be done for the man 
that kills this uncircumcised Philistine. And in your minds, you think he's come up to defy Israel. He is not defiling Israel. He's defiling the armies of the living God. You feeling bad because he's put us to shame. I'm feeling bad because he's put God to shame. And he could not believe. It was a shock to his system that Israel had fallen so low and gone down so far that to get somebody to do the will of God, they had been reduced to rewards and paydays and quitting times. And to get somebody to do what needed to be done, you had to raise the ante. You had to put, amen, a bounty to get someone to do the will of God. He was shocked to his soul. Now his elder brother Eliab heard this, and it troubled him. Now I live in Arroyo Grande, which is a fancy name for Big Ditch. I'm 200 miles up the coast from Los Angeles, there's no smog where I'm at. Los Angeles and the basin does have smog. Believe it or not, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it gets bad. And um, people that live there become accustomed to it. They really think little of it. And it settles in. It changes nothing. Nobody's modus operandi is any different than the day before. But every now and then, a strong, and it has to be strong, ocean breeze moves in. And it shoves it on back towards Riverside and San Bernardino, who has worse pollution problems than Los Angeles because of that. But if the wind is strong enough, it will blow it out of that entire basin. And when it does, believe it or not, Los Angeles and the surrounding area is a beautiful place. And the mountains are gorgeous to see. And in the winter, there's, mount, there's snow on the top of those mountains. And, and when those rare days come, then there's a change. Because it's bright. And it's clear. And it's clean. And necks are strained. To see the mountains that they're not used to seeing. You know, I've found in life that we can get used to living with a lot of things. Things can just become such a part of the norm and the nature that, that we become so accustomed to them that when they're, and I'm talking about things that are not correct, that we don't even realize their existence until perhaps they're gone. And it's like spiritual miasmas can just kind of settle in round about us. And can I tell you that I believe that this was the case in the day that David visited the army. There had been a Paul that had settled into that army. This man, Goliath, he had done it the first day. And their systems were not used to this and the second, and the third, and then the second week, and the third week. And now it's been over a month, and it's moving towards a month and a half. And 
they had grown used to the inactivity. They had grown used to the shame. They had become accustomed, amen, to the lack of victory. It's just the way things are. And so this boy David comes. He, he drives his carriage down into the fog and the smog. He, he senses what is there and he hears what they've all heard. And then when he hears of the rewards, and that's an amazing thing, those rewards. I don't believe that Saul put everything on the auction block to begin with. I think the first thing offered was probably the riches. And he specified a certain amount of money, possibly even raised it two or three times. Finally, he just said, look, it's going to be great riches. You can write your own check if you will slay this giant. And so out from behind the rocks and the trees, men are looking and men are calculating and they're thinking and, and, and Saul is driving a hard bargain and they're trying to evaluate, is it worth it? And Saul waited and they waited and their hard drives crashed and they, there was no takers. So he raised the ante. I'll throw my wife, my, one of my daughters in to boot. You can be the king's son-in-law. Aha! Renewed interest. So now they're thinking of money and they're thinking of his daughter. Let me think, what does she look like? Is she worth it? Can she cook? Could I stand Saul for a father-in-law? Well, if I was a prince, I could cut my own swath anyway. But no, no takers. So then Saul raises it up again. Come on. No taxes. This will be a tax-free situation. <laughs> but still, no takers. And when David came into this, he simply couldn't believe what a sad state of affairs had settled in to the armies of the living God. And when he expressed his shock and obviously his abhorrence, Eliab who the Bible tells us when Samuel laid eyes on him, he was one good-looking, stout, kingly material after the flesh. But see, he come out from behind a rock and he heard David's statement. And there's something about David's words. It was like an ocean breeze that in just a few moments' time, whew, Everybody began to look. I, I, I hadn't thought about it like that. I mean, you know, it just... But this bothered Eliab. And in a few swift, short, well-placed drives, 
and slashes. He went in for character assassination and thought, boy, I'll bring you down to size. You're starting to look good in the eyes of the soldiers. But he said, hey, boy, why did you come down hither? And with whom didst thou leave those few sheep? Couldn't even give him the benefit, amen, of pastoring a few large flocks. He had to cut him down. Hey, boy, you're just a shepherd of a few sheep. Shoot, shoot. You know, there are experts at this business. They've done it before. And I don't believe this was the first time Eliab took it after David. That's why David said, what have I now done? He was rather used to this character assassination. And he said, I know your pride, and I know the naughtiness of your heart. I'm his brother, you see. Now, I'm going to tell you this much. Don't ever get it in your mind that you're going to do something genuinely unselfish for God. But what some cynic somewhere that's not doing it themselves, amen, with a few well-placed jabs, will take their cheap shots to try and cut you down to size and question your motives and question your agendas and question it's a matter of pride. There are professionals in this business. And he said, you're just come down here to see the battle. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Now there's another text I want to read to you. You don't need to turn there. But it's very familiar. It is the book of John, chapter 8. Verse 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I want to give you the title of what I want to preach to us about today. Being set free from what's in it for me. Being set free indeed from what's in it for me. And I don't believe unless we are ever really set free from this business of what's in it for me, we're not really, really free indeed. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and love Him for a moment. God, I love you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We worship you, my God. 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 I love you. I'd like for you to notice today the freedom, the liberty, the grace 
the ease that David possessed. Amen. Not only that day, but throughout his life. There was something about this boy who was a man after God's own heart. On that day when a nation was bound, on that day when an army was paralyzed, on that day when a, when a king had been driven to, 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 to hole up underneath a tree in Gibeah, in that day, amen, when a nation was being put to shame and their God was being defied, here stepped off the carriage a silly kid, so to speak, that just had it in his heart. I don't need paydays. I don't need quitting times. I don't need great riches. I don't need to marry the king's daughter. I don't need to be free to do the will of God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! All I know is there's a giant up there. All I know is there's a giant up there that's got to be brought down. I don't need money, and I don't need a wife, and I don't need a tax-free annuity. All I need, amen, is some rocks. All I need is a sling. All I need is the name of the Lord. Because there's a cause that's bigger than any rewards. There's a cause that's more important. Amen. Than paydays and quitting times and pats on the backs. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know how deeply this is ingrained in us, if we were to take the awards business... From our giving, most of our benefactors would be gutted. Somewhere, give us a revelation. There is a cause. There is a kingdom. There is a world. We're in a nation that's fallen on its face. I've got a book called... Uh, Ask Marilyn. Marilyn Voss Savant. She has an IQ 228. 140 is genius. She is the most intelligent person in the world that we know of. She married Dr. Howard Jarvis. He's got an, uh, his IQ's up in the 180s. And they got married because they could talk to each other. That's truth. And uh, she has a column in Parade Magazine. And she's a brilliant woman. And believe it or not, she's got some good common sense. Case in point, somebody asked her in one of her columns, what is the greatest lie that has ever been perpetrated on mankind? She said, the greatest lie ever perpetrated to mankind is that all religions are correct. She said, that's impossible. And somebody asked her one time, said, if you could see any event in history, what event would you want to see? Quite a question. She said, if I could see any event, event in history, I would love to see the creation." Because think of all the other questions that would settle. Oh. Somebody asked her, Marilyn, 
What could we as a people of the United States of America do to turn this nation around? She said, she's not a religious woman, she said, there's only one thing that could turn this nation around. And that would be that every man and every voting, every man and woman who are voters in America, from the president to the Senate to the Congress, state, local, county, city governments, and all voters must start placing all votes based on what's good for the nation, not what's good for me. She said, that's the only thing that will save this nation. But why are we in the mess we're in? 200 years before the Declaration of Independence was ever signed, a British man said the failure of every democracy will be over fiscal irresponsibility because peoples in a democracy, when they realize they can vote the company purse into themselves, they always come down over finances. 200 years before the Declaration of Independence. Now, what's killing us as a nation Politically, socially, it's a miasma, it's a smog, it's an attitude, it's an ideology of what's in it for me. What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? What can I get out of it? We're living in an unbelievably selfish society. And as surely as the churches of the book of Revelation were affected by the cities they were in, so we are affected by our society. When we stand in Judgment Day and every hidden thing shall be brought to light. Now I'm going to tell you something. Judgment Day is going to be something else. I'm telling you you hear me, it's going to be deep and long and intricate. We're going to be appalled. On Judgment Day, we're going to be mortified at how many times and to what unbelievable great extent the work of God through the centuries has been crippled. I said crippled by misguided motives and hidden agendas. Thinking, planning, figuring, fixing, trying, reaching, effort and moves what I'm going to get out of this day. How it's going to affect me. Not, oh God, what's good for the kingdom. I have not attained. In fact, since God gave me this, I'm appalled at myself. But at least I'm able to stop and check myself over and over. 
God, this is my prayer. Let me pastor. Let me preach. Let me minister with an agenda of what's best for you, God. What's best for the church. What's best for the individual, whether they are saved or lost. Without any regards to my needs, my ego, my livelihood, my acceptance, my success, or any other consideration, then, oh God, I want to do your perfect will. We must be set free from what's in it for me. Whether saints are moving in or saints are moving out, let your counseling be done. Not what's best for you. Not what's best for the church. What is best for that soul? And on and on. Amen. I was doing a study of major world religions. I found a tenet of the Hindu belief. When I said great religions, I just mean by virtue of the numbers of people that believe it. But they put something in the Hindu tenets that when I read it, it jolted me. And I repelled at it. The longer I thought, I thought, well, they do have that almost right. One of their tenets is that all disappointment is based on ego. The only exception I found to that rule is sometimes we are disappointed when we see other people fail. That we loved, cared about, but you know what, Brother Kilgore? Since I read that, I've been able to reevaluate a whole lot of things. And there's a whole lot of disappointments that have come my way that I have to, when I look at them honestly, squarely, resolutely say, you know, the only thing hurt was my ego. My ego. My ego. Can I tell you something? It's a good thing that David didn't stoop to doing reward work because if he'd have done it for the riches and the wife and the freedom of the house, he'd have died a disillusioned, bitter old man because Saul never paid off. And that's the reason we have so many bitter people leaving our ranks. They feel like they've been done dirty or even staying in our ranks. They're disenchanted and disappointed. And their deal is, I'm not treated right. I didn't get into this for this. I've been shortchanged. This is not what I expected. I didn't get paid off. Well, honey, when your motives are wrong, your paydays are going to be wrong. But if you're doing it for Him, and you let Him take care of the rewards, and you let Him take care of the paydays, King Saul never did pay off! 
You say he married the king's daughter, yes, after he went out and killed 200 Philistines. The girl he was supposed to marry was given to another. He could have been bitter right then. Saul never gave him a farthing. And far from his house being free, they had to go hide. We can't do this for paydays and quitting times. We'll be a disillusioned people. We'll end up bitter. But if somewhere we can get a heart after God's own heart, there is a cause. We don't need rewards. We don't need paydays. We don't need pats on the backs. There's just got to be something inside that says it's a kingdom. It's a work. It's a cause. The name of the Lord is at stake. The glory of God is in the balance. Somebody's got to have a burden for Him. Daniel had that spirit. That's why when Belshazzar said, Read the language, Bubba, and I'll give you a third part of the kingdom. He said, Let your gifts and your rewards be given to another. And Abraham, when the king of Sodom, he said, Buddy, I don't want a thread, a shoe latchet, or a thread from you. And God met him in the next verse and said, I am thy shield, and I am thy exceeding great reward. God pays off. God pays off. He does it His way. He does it His time. And you don't worry about it. You just do the will of God. You just do the will of God. You just do the will of God. I'm here to please you, God. I don't need an office. I don't need a position. Hallelujah. I don't need my name on a plaque. I don't need my name on a door. If I see a piece of paper, I'll pick it up if the pastor's not looking. There's a cause. I said there's a cause. Philippians chapter 2. This is no new thing. It wasn't new in David's day. It's not new in our day. And the great first apostolic church had the same problems. Philippians 2. Why? Because when you put humanity into the church, you got problems. And where no oxen are, the stalls are clean. But you get people, you better have a scoop shovel. Because people make messes in life. I'm not being gross. I'm telling you. Somewhere in this kingdom, we just got to understand, it ain't all going to be great. It ain't all going to be wonderful. But it's like Noah's Ark. It's better in here than it is out there. So in Philippians 2, start reading verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus. Oh, Philippians, I trust in the Lord Jesus. To send Timothy shortly unto you. To send Timothy shortly unto you. Listen up. That I also may be of good comfort. I want to be of good comfort. When I know your state. When I know how you're doing. For I have no man like I have no man. Read. Like-minded. Like-minded. Who will naturally care for your state. Who will so naturally care for your estate. His burden is to care for you. His desire 
is your estate. Not his. Yours. Read. For all seek their own. For all seek their own. Not the things which are Jesus Christ. Not the things which are Jesus Christ. This was Paul's day. He said, Timothy is a rare bird. Because he's not seeking his own. He's got a cause. He's got a burden. He's got a desire. He's got a dream. The kingdom of God is bigger than His kingdom. The ways of God are more important than His ways. The will of God is more important than His will. Read. But you know the proof of Him. Oh, you know the proof of Him. That as a son with the Father. As a son with the Father. He has served me in the Gospel. He has served me in the Gospel. Like a son with the Father. If that's the way the Son served, how then did Paul the Father serve? Second Corinthians chapter 12. Amen? Read verse 14. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you. Corinthians, it's the third time. I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you. I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. This is the Father. I'm not seeking yours. I'm not seeking what belongs to you. I'm seeking you. I'm not interested in what you have to offer me. I'm interested in you as a person. Stay right there. I'm not bragging and I'm not apologizing. I don't keep up with sports. Okay? As God is my witness, I don't know who won the Super Bowl. I promise I don't. I'm telling you, I don't know. I do know there was not a World Series, right? I missed it like a toothache. But I like reading about generals and coaches because they're leaders of men. And that's what's interesting. And uh, I read an excerpt from a book. There was a guy that played for OU, Oklahoma University. And uh, his nickname was The Boz. He'd be bad dude. And uh, real quick, he, his job was to recruit an incoming freshman to the team. That was his job. He got two other team players. He got four voluptuous co-eds. They rented a, or they got a cottage on the deal. They got two or three kegs of beer. Before the night was over, they literally destroyed the cottage. All the sheetrock, all the electricity, everything was destroyed. All the windows broke. All the furniture smashed. Barry Switzer was the coach. He come in to the next session. Brian Bosworth was sitting on the front row. Switzer was right in front of him. He didn't know who did it. He said, I want to know who tore that dorm up. That cottage. That moment, I understood 
I was nothing but a piece of meat to Barry Switzer. He didn't care for me as a human being. He didn't care if I lived or died. All he wanted out of Brian Bosworth was to win ball games. And he cared nothing for me as a person. Because if he did, he'd have got me also. If you got a preacher that's willing to get in your face when you do wrong, you better get out of your bed every day and say, Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that He preaches to me the truth. Thank you that He corrects me. Thank you that He reproves me. Thank you that He rebukes me in all long suffering and doctrine. He wants to be saved and them that hear Him. He's not worried about me paying the tithes or not. He wants me to go to heaven. Yes. Hallelujah. And if you want to go to heaven, yes, you will pay your tithes. Read on, brother. For I seek not yours but you. For I seek not yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents. Children ought not to be laying up for the parents. But the parents for the children. Parents ought to be laying up for the kids. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Whoa. That was Paul's attitude. I'll not only spend, I'll be spent for you. I'm interested in the kingdom. I'm interested in the work. Hallelujah. You can have nice things and care for the flock. I live in a beautiful home. We have two and a half acres out in the country. And as God is my witness, the church is thrilled. They're happy for us. They're good to us. They love us. I read about Jonah. Got out. Placed himself in the noonday sun. He said, Nineveh, you got 39 days, 23 hours, and 32 minutes, and you're going to be crispy critters, and I'm going to sit here and watch you burn. But uh, he was sweating. The sun was beating down on him. So the Bible said, God caused a gourd to grow rather quickly and gave him shade and comfort. And the Bible said that Jonah was exceeding glad because of the gourd. And the shade that it gave. God prepared a gourd. Brother Kilgore, sometimes I sit in my lazy boy chair. I look at the walls covered with the good books, the fireplaces, the carpets, the ceiling. The electric lights, 
the comforts. I've got three boys right here. And they will tell you. No, they're over here. <laughs> Don't say they took out. No, they're over here. Where you at, boys? They'll tell you many a time. We're sitting around a table heaped with food and the blessings. And I will say, boys, why do we have this? And they say, because faithful saints of God that love the Lord pay their tithes, Dad. That's why we have what we have. And I don't ever want them to forget it. So that whatever they do in life, amen, if they preach or they be faithful saints, they will love the Lord and support the ministry. And they know the world and the church owes them nothing but to love one another. Brother Kilgore, I'll sit in my chair and I'll look up and I'll say, God, oh God, you've given me such a beautiful gourd. It covers my head from the sun and the rain. Keeps me warm at night. And I never forget, as surely as there was a worm in Jonah's gourd, in our best estate, brethren, there's a worm in all of it. I don't care if it's a brand new Cadillac, honey. There's a worm in it somewhere. You just ain't found it yet. So set not your heart on certain riches. And you young ministers, I'm going to tell you something. Somewhere along the line, people have been getting it, pumping it into people's hearts. Amen. That, that, that you will have arrived when you got a certain car. Brother Franco, it's a lie. If you love God and you're here for the kingdom and you're here to be a blessing to the saints of God and you care for their soul and you're here to preach because you don't want people to go to hell and you want them to go to the same heaven you're going to, you're a success. 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 In the name of all that is holy, be set free from this what's in it for me business. You'll never know freedom. You'll never know joy. Franco, go to the book of Acts, chapter 20. You'll never know it unless you get free. Read verse 24. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. That's the secret. That's the secret. Our life is too dear to us. 
so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus. You know why so many people are not finishing this thing with joy, but they're disenchanted and they're bitter? They've lost the joy because they counted their life too dear. And when they were disappointed and their little egos bruised, First Samuel chapter 2. Some motives and agendas are so obvious the village idiot could see it. Read verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. They did not know God. How did it manifest itself that they did not know God? Read verse 15. Also, before they burnt the fat, before they burnt the fat, the free servant came, the servants of the sons of Eli came, and said to the man that sacrificed, and they said to the man that was bringing his sacrifice to the Lord, Give flesh to roast for the priest. Give flesh to roast for the priest. For he will not have sodden flesh of thee. There is a process to go through, and it included the boiling, but we're not going to have that. I'm taking the sacrifice now. And it was their just due. Amen. Once it had been on the, in the sodden pot and then on the labor to take the flesh hook and take as much as their soul desireth. But they didn't like it cooked that way. They had a certain way they wanted it fixed. And if it cost a sacrifice, so be it. Read verse 17. Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great was before the Lord. Very great. Before God. Why was it great? For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. People got to the place they abhorred even bringing the sacrifices. Because Isaiah 56, because these many centuries later are the spiritual sons of Eli. Verse 11. Yea, they are greedy dogs. They are greedy dogs. Which can never have enough. Which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own ways. They all look to their own ways. Every one for, Every his, gain. One for his gain. From his quarter. From his quarter. You say you shouldn't be preaching that, Brother Booker. Why? What's wrong? What's wrong with it? It's the Word of the Lord. You say, but i got somebody that's disgruntled already. Man, they don't like to do nothing, and I'm doing my best. Forget them. You can't help somebody like that. Go on, do right, be right. God will take care of them and you. If you're living right, this won't bother you. Isaiah chapter 1. Read verse 23. Thy princes are rebellious. Your princes, Israel, are rebellious. And companions of thieves. And they're companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts. Everybody has fallen in love with gifts. And followeth after rewards. And they're following not after God, rewards. Rewards. We need to be set free from what's in it for me. 
He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Set us free. Let's lift our hands. Let's ask God to set us free. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Set us free. Now, I'm not done preaching, so don't worry about that. Hallelujah. Set free. Do you realize it was a short step from 1 Samuel 2.17 to verse 22 where they were now lying with the women at the door of the tabernacle. That was the nth of utter selfishness. And this is not, I repeat, this is not the case in every case. But the Scripture does say the mouth of a strange woman is a deep pit. And he that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. And I believe a lot of times adultery is nothing more than the judgments of God. Not in every case. But I don't want to live away abhorrent to the Lord. I want my motives to be right. I want my heart to be right. I want my genders to be right. I don't want any iniquity to have dominion over me. Brother Kilgore, that's the last thing on earth I want to do is fall into that sin. But I believe one of the greatest protections from that kind of sin is personal integrity. That's the reason when that pagan heathen Abimelech took Sarah into his house and when, and when the judgments of God were falling on the land. And remember, God had just destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And everybody knew it. And that's why Isaiah said, when judgment sends them the land, there is righteousness also. And they were all walking softly. And that's the reason it says, when... Because judgment against an evil work is not speedily executed. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And it's been an evil world. But when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, everybody started walking soft. That's why Abimelech said to God, Wilt thou destroy a righteous nation also? I took her in the integrity of my heart. And God said, I know that. That's why I did not suffer you to touch her. And I heard you preach it, brother. If integrity can keep a heathen like Abimelech, what will it do for us? When you get free from what's in it for me, you're free from a lot of stuff. A lot of snares for our feet are taken care of if we just take care of the things of God. Forget ourselves.
when you have to plot and plan and figure and you're already in a very slippery place. So Hophni and Phineas, their agenda was very blatant. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. Some are harder to discern. Verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu. Nadab and Abihu. Now get the picture. Pretend you didn't know this. Nadab and Abihu. The sons of Aaron. Sons of Aaron, not Eli. Took either of them his censer. Took their censer. And put fire therein. Put fire therein. And and put incense thereon. Put incense thereon. And offered strange fire before the Lord. Offered which, fire, but it was strange. Which he commanded them not. He didn't command them to do it. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. I guarantee a lot of people scratch their head over that one. And I still am. I don't know what their agenda was. And I'm not sure what it made it strange fire, except what they offered God didn't want. And whatever else that means, the bottom line was their agenda was not God's agenda. They had something in it for themselves. And God said, them that draw nigh me, I will be glorified in them one way or the other. Either in the goodness or the severity, but I will be glorified in them that draw nigh me. So, read verse 5. So they went near and carried them in their coats out now, of the camp. Now, that word in the Hebrew, devoured, honey, they was gone. I'm telling you, they was burned up. Look it up. Devoured means devoured. So the men came in to get them. Read. And carried them in their coats out of the camp. But they carried them in their coats. How did they carry them in their coats? Why wasn't their coats devoured? Their coats were intact, brothers and sisters. Their coats were untouched. They within the coats were devoured. The coats were untouched. God is saying, I can deal with a man, but I won't touch the office. They were in the priestly garments. And the fire of God is so exact and so perfect. And I'm telling you, He can read the hidden motives of man. The Word of God is quick and powerful. Hallelujah! It's able to divide asunder the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And He got the men, but did not touch the office. And if God won't touch the office, I suggest that you don't either. You hear me? Let's go to Numbers 22. In the book of Jude, verse 11, it talks about people that ran greedily after the error of Balaam. Revelation 2.14 talks about the doctrine of Balaam. So in the Bible, you see error 
of Balaam before you see his doctrine. Every false doctrine is based on error of heart. Balaam erred in his heart, and it took him a while to formulate his doctrine. That's where spurious, crazy, lewd doctrines come from. Somebody's erred in their heart already. Now they've got to formulate a way to justify it. And it's one thing, we all as preachers make mistakes in our minds, judgment, and this and that. But if I have to make a mistake, God help me, don't let it be an error of the heart. So, read verse 7. And the elders of Moab, the elders of Moab, and the elders of Midian, and the elders of Midian, departed with the rewards of divination in their hands. They came and to they Balaam came Balaam. with the rewards of divination. We got rewards for you, Bubba. We know that what you cursed is cursed and what you bless is blessed, which is a common fallacy in the minds of the ignorant. If anybody does any blessing or cursing, they've already been blessed in heaven and cursed in heaven. All we are, folks, are messenger boys. Sorry. He thought, if he said it, it has to happen. No, we've got to be in the will of God. Be that as it may, it came with rewards. I'm not going to, when you start dealing with Balaam, it's a labyrinth of motives and agendas. And, but I am going to say this about the man. He never lost the artistry of his gifts and calling. His motives were not right. He wanted the money. While Balak's talking about honor and promotion, he's talking about houses of gold and silver. I want to bring him back to where it was. But he knew he had to have that unction and anointing. And he never lost that in spite of his crooked agendas. And when he began to go his way, I find something very fascinating. When he's on the ass and he's headed off to the land of Moab, an angel appears. He does not see it, but the ass does. In an open field. And the ass is trying to turn around. Balaam's beating it. Gets it in line. The next time the angel appears, there's a wall on one side and a wall on the other. It was a little harder to turn around now. And when the ass tried it, he crushed Balaam's foot. And read verse 26 of chapter 22. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. He stood in a narrow place! Where was no way to turn either to the right hand. Now there was no way to turn around. And the longer and farther, saints, anybody, we go in our pernicious ways. At first, it's easy to turn around if we'll listen. But if you proceed to go on, you're going to get in a spot where it's a little harder to turn around and it's going to cost you some pain to make your turn. If you still persist, you're going to end up in a fix 
And I've seen people get this way. They've gone so far. They can't turn around. They've become captives of their own will. And the only way he could get out is to totally lose face and back out. And when the ass fell, he started beating it. And the ass started talking. He said, hey, boy, you've ridden on me all these years. I never treated you like this. Why are you treating me like this? You would think, honey, if the donkey started talking, you'd sit up and listen. He was so enraged. He said, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. When I see people become so irrational, so crazy, so vitriolic, so full of anger over their pernicious ways, if you dare challenge them, they come at you like a lion. Balaam wasn't mad at that donkey. He was mad at himself. We don't have time to go through it. But in chapter 24, musicians come. Begin reading verse 3. He's at the end of the line now. And he took up his parable. He now sees the Lord is not going to bless. And said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said. Balaam the son of Beor hath said. And the man whose eyes are open hath said. And the man whose eyes are open hath said. He hath said which heard the words of God. He hath said which heard the words of God. Which saw the vision of the Almighty. Which saw the vision of the Almighty. Falling into a trance. But having his eyes open. Stop. The words into a trance are in italics, inserted by honest-hearted King James translators. You can read it without them. Please do so, brother. He has said, He has said, Which heard the words of God, Which heard the words of God, Which saw the vision of the Almighty, Which saw the visions of the Almighty, But having his eyes open, Having his eyes open, Read. How, how goodly are No, no, no. Falling, but having his eyes open. Balaam said, I have fallen with my eyes wide open. It didn't sneak up on my blind side. The angel tried to warn me. God tried to warn me. The donkey tried to warn me. My conscience tried to warn me. But I persisted greedily. And he fell. I have many verses, as you brethren know, but it's gone too long.
I will suffice it with this. We're either going to build out of gold, silver, precious stones, or we're going to build out of wood, hay, and stubble. But whatever we build out of is going to be tried in the fire. And our motives are going to be brought to light. I read this story. All I can tell you is I read it. It was a Pentecostal preacher, but I do not know anything about his beliefs. All I'm telling you is what I know. I know he pastored a large, successful church. Let's stand. And I know that on a Sunday morning he came home and he sat down in his chair to take a Sunday afternoon nap. And when he did, he said whether dream or vision he did not know. But he looked and an angel was there in his front room. He had a crucible and he had scales. And the man looked dumbstruck. The angel approached him and said, I have come to examine your zeal. And he reached into the man's bosom and he pulled something out. While he watched, he placed it in the crucible. A fire appeared and it began to melt down the, what was in the container. He then began to pour it out into various component parts. And when he did, this is what he saw. This is what the angel said. Eleven percent of your zeal, of what you say and what you do, is based on nothing but bigotry. Twenty-two percent of what you say and what you do is based on personal ambition. 19% of what you say and what you do is based on love of praise. 15% of what you say and what you do is based on pride of organization. 12% of what you say and what you do is based on love of authority. 14% of what you say and what you do is pride of your talents and abilities. Four percent of what you say and what you do is love of God. Three percent of what you say and what you do is love of man. Ninety-three percent of his life was wood, hay, and stubble. 
and 7% was gold, silver, and precious Oh, God. God, you've got to set us free. 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 Indeed, from what's in it for me.